Hi everyone, this is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 9. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites the archive website llresearch.org and the community website bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Jim McCarty, husband to the late Carla Ruckert, scribe for The Raw Contact, and president of LL Research, along with Gary Bean and myself, who are working hard to keep the mission of LL Research alive and well, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final and authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. To do so, you may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Austin Bridges, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Is everybody with us and ready to go? Yes, indeed. I am here. All righty. Jumping straight into our questions, our first one comes from user Rie via Bringforth. And Rie writes to us and says, I'd like to ask Jim, Gary, and Austin about labeling something service to others or service to self. We all come from vastly different cultures and societies, as well as upbringing and ideals about what constitutes as service to self and service to others. Universally shared ideas or values or whatnot, of course, do exist. Often, controversial topics are politicized, and we see a great division of good, bad, black and white thinking and labeling ethics, lifestyle, or behavior as service to others or service to self. Hot topics are like... Are hot topics like euthanasia, suicide, abortion, human sexuality, political hierarchies, and eating animals or treatment of animals, etc. Rhea's first question then is, does labeling ethics, lifestyle, or behavior as service to others or service to self make sense according to Ra's teachings in regards to labeling what we think as good as service to others or bad as service to self? Which is a great question. Who wants to be the first one to tackle that one? Um, well, I guess I'll just jump in there. Okay. Uh, Ross specifically says that uh, there is really no good or bad or right or wrong. So I think this is uh, a designation that people give it themselves because they have the, the background of thinking that there is good and bad, there is right and wrong. But when there is a creation that's composed of one entity, the creator, who's made all things and all people... There can't be good or bad, right or wrong. Gary, you were about to say something. (laughs) (laughs) I think my answers or response rather will be a little bit longer. Um, I think labeling is a somewhat loaded word carrying connotations of doing injustice or disservice to a subject, including a person, by reducing or minimizing them to a single word or a concept. I think that SDO and SDS can certainly become labels. Um, We all have a propensity not to commune with the totality of a subject, but to slap a label on the subject and relate to that subject only as the label, 
reducing the need to expend further consciousness on the matter. Uh, this expedient can be helpful at times, but it also, as Rie is indicating, disserves a subject um, by losing touch with the essence of the matter or the person, eliminating important nuance, and uh, potentially leading to really mistaken conclusions. That said, I think it's wholly unhelpful, or I'm sorry, I think it's wholly helpful not to slap a label of STO versus STS on a subject, but to actually fully examine the human sphere through the lens of polarity. Why? Uh, Ra says that polarity is the axis upon which the creation turns. Further, they say the catalyst and all catalyst is designed to offer experience. This experience in your density may be loved and accepted, or it may be controlled. These are the two paths. When neither path is chosen, the catalyst fails in its design, and the entity proceeds until catalyst strikes it, which causes it to form a bias towards acceptance and love or separation and control. So keep in mind that everything we experience in this life is catalyst from the making of our morning coffee to the hot button issues that Rie mentioned. Now consider that Ra said that this catalyst is offered and designed to cause us to polarize, to cause us to make a choice to serve others or serve the self. So my take on that is that inherent and intertwined in this catalyst then is polarity itself. Catalysts cannot be understood at our level of perception outside of polarity, certainly through polarity, certainly by transcending polarity, but not outside of. You can't do away with polarity. So personally, I think it's enormously helpful to examine life through the lens of polarity. It's not the final lens. It has to be understood within a context of unity. But it is far, far better than the default factory lenses, which most of us unconsciously inherit from society, which do lend themselves to more black and white mindsets and do contain moral judgments of good and bad. Um, Polarity, on the other hand, is unique in that it's not exclusively one or the other, but two ends of the same spectrum with infinite gradations of degree in between, each polarity containing something of its opposite. And if I may speak more about polarity, it also helps to clarify one's own path. When you know who you are and in what direction you're going, you can make choices more efficiently. Polarity also doesn't inherently contain judgment as it recognizes the validity of the two basic paths. Uh, Further, polarity begins at the very ground level of creation on the questions, what is free will? How should I exercise my own free will? And how should I relate to the free will of others? To examine life through that lens is to get to the very heart of creation itself. Um, And my final thought on it is is that it doesn't make sense to me that one would read the law of one and embrace it and love it and find their thoughts clarified by it, but then say, I'm not going to use it and I'm not going to apply it. Austin? Austin? Thank you for that answer. That was a great answer. Um, In Rie's preface to her questions, something that I thought was a good topic to bring up is the idea of cultural differences and societal differences and what might be considered uh, 
service to others or service to self. And uh, I think that's a good thing to consider, but um, I actually have a raw quote, as usual, that uh, they sort of explain their use of the term service to others or service to self, so hopefully that can help us examine the more universal undertones behind it. So Don asked in session 93, question 3, Uh, He starts by saying, The foundation of our present illusion we have stated previously to be the concept of polarity. I would ask that since we have defined these two polarities as service to others and service to self, is there a more complete or eloquent or enlightening (laughs) definition or any more information that we don't have at this time on the two ends of the poles that would give us a better insight into the nature of polarity itself? And so Ra responds by saying, It is unlikely that there is a more pithy or eloquent description of the polarities of their density than service to others and service to self due to the nature of the mind-body-spirit complex's distortion towards perceiving concepts relating to philosophy in terms of ethics or activity. However, we might consider the polarities using slightly variant terms. In this way, a possible enrichment or insight might be achieved for some. One might consider the polarities with the literal nature enjoyed by the physical polarity of the magnet. The negative and positive, with their electrical characteristics, may be seen to be just as in the physical sense. It is to be noted that, in this context, that it is quite impossible to judge the polarity of an act or an entity, just as it is impossible to judge the relative goodness of the negative and positive poles of the magnet. Another method of viewing polarities might involve the concept of radiation slash absorption. That which is positive is radiant. That which is negative is absorbent. And so Ra gives us a few things relevant to Ria's question there. And one of them, I think, is a more universal understanding of service to others or service to self. And it seems like Ra is very uh, in favor of those two labelings. But I have seen among some uh, seekers of the law of one some confusion uh, based on those terms because they view service to others as not including the self and as sort of a dedication of martyrdom to other selves and they see things that aren't really of the service to self polarity such as just regular maintenance of the body meditation things that we do to better ourselves as being service to self. And so uh, these two labels can be kind of confusing for some people. So I think that the idea of radiance and absorption kind of help to expand it to more universal terms. Also, many, many times throughout the material, Ra talks about acceptance versus control, which I think is also sort of a universal way to look at the two polarities. Uh, But it is a good point that these two polarities and the entire raw material took place within the context of a certain culture that would be Don's culture that informed his questioning and the culture of the entire group which uh, brought Ra to them and the way that Ra expressed themselves. Uh, I think they uh, did so sometimes in ways to help Don and the group understand what they were saying, which would Uh, include the cultural projection of what they're talking about. So uh, there is some culturally specific ways to look at the law of one, but at its heart, I think the message is universal and could translate across various cultures 
despite those types of distinctions. So, uh, to build off of what Gary was saying about how it is uh, typically useful to examine our lives through these two polarities, I think that uh, a refinement to that is to touch on the idea of projection. And that is that uh, we're not free from our own biases, especially when we are deciding to label things as being good or bad or service to others or service to self. There's not a single third-density entity, I think, that can claim complete objectivity. And just as Ra was saying in that quote that I just read, is that it's impossible to judge the polarity of an entity or an action. It might be you might be able to uh, determine mechanically whether it is uh, you know, inclusive or uh, radiant or if it is um, absorption or separation. Uh, but to label it as polarity in the terms that Ra is saying, I don't think is a com- does it justice to what the intricacies and complexities of a situation. And uh, at a certain point, labeling a person or activities as service to self can become a way for a person to create separation or make some sort of excuse as to why they may not feel as loving towards something or someone as they do towards other things. And Rie brings up these controversial topics, and I think that everything that she listed is something that many people feel a strong emotional bias towards. And does this mean that there aren't some objective, positive or negative perspectives on this topic? I don't think so. Uh, Certainly there are ways to approach these things that are more accepting and loving, and there are ways to approach them that are more separating and controlling. And does a strong emotional bias towards these things make one's perspective invalid? Definitely don't think that, but it does give a much higher chance to paint a situation with exaggerated broad strokes, such as a blanket labeling of service to self or service to others. It's a danger for a seeker of the law of one to see these labels as a way to make their opinion objective. I think some people can logically deduce how their behavior or attitude can be connected to the positive label and how another other self's behavior or opinion can be connected to a negative label. And then they stand upon the law of one uh, in a sort of righteousness in that sense. So uh, the danger there is when we are not contemplating the labels that we are putting upon other things and trying to examine the emotional connection we have to those things that we are labeling. And I think so long as we remain introspective and we meditate and we contemplate and we aren't uh, applying a label and uh, standing upon it as an argument, then um, it can definitely be a useful thing, as Gary was pointing out. But I do think that it might hinder spiritual evolution or spiritual growth if it is not done so in a way that is introspective or contemplative or does not address one's own personal biases towards a topic. And that uh, about wraps up my thoughts on that first question there. Does anybody have anything to add to that? Not I. Yeah, just that there's a, there's a skillful and an unskillful way to um, utilize 
the philosophy of polarity and generally it's unskillful just to keep it at the level of label i mean like i said it, it can be an expedient in some cases we just don't have the time or the energy to um really fully meditate on or contemplate subjects so we use labels as shorthand um but like austin was saying we to really deepen the work we need to go beyond the label and uh, take it into meditation and go and be introspective about it but that's it for me cool so Rie asks a second question and says is there anything you have learned from raw or other ll channelings about how to think more divergently about hot topic issues instead of labeling them as good or bad See answer to part one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very connected. <laughs> yeah, they are very connected. Um, does anybody have additional thoughts to offer for that one? Well, I would just say that uh, I don't think, metaphysically speaking, there is any hot topic. There's just the creator knowing itself. We give the hotness to a topic because it has meaning for us. That might mean that we really need to be working on it. And when we actually get the work done, then it may not be hot anymore. It simply be... Uh, an experience of the creator knowing itself. Ooh, that's a really good point. Yeah, we imbue things with their hotness or <laughs> non-hotness. Um, I, I my answer to that question would be: um, Has have you learned from Ra or other LL channelings how to think differently? And I would say certainly. Um, one way I have learned is to instead of approaching a hot topic or any issues, as Rie described, in terms of good and bad, uh, one way is to see where is the love in the moment. How can I open my heart to that hot topic issue which is transpiring? Um, Love doesn't need to know whether something is good or bad, right or wrong, STS or STO, per se. Uh, It just just embraces everything, loves everything, when it's unconditional and, and fully activated. Wisdom, however, does. Uh, analyzing and understanding a situation through the lens of polarity or by whatever your measure is necessary for continued spiritual evolution and survival, really. Um, And also uh, what I have learned um, from mystical literature in general, um, especially the law of one, is that it's shown me how to get beyond all conceptual understanding, uh, including labels, by abiding in clear presence. Not labeling, not judging, not grasping, not avoiding, just being with and accepting what is. And then resting in that faith, um, resting in faith, uh, one can look at hot-button issues and see that no matter how seemingly ugly or distorted or terrible or contentious, all is well and all is the creator is experiencing itself. And all is one. And I think that's definitely a perspective that's been informed and enhanced uh, by this uh, material. My own experience is pretty close to what both of you described. I would say that the law of one, to me, seems like a rather unique philosophy in that it is ultimately about this message of underlying unity and non-duality within the universe and within our realm of experience, but at the same time asks us to appreciate the duality of our environment and not to completely discount it just uh, to attempt to reach some mystical state. Um, 
it asks us to utilize the catalyst that we experience and to examine it and to meditate on it and contemplate on it and to make a choice based on the results of this uh, contemplation and meditation. And so it can seem to paradoxically both embrace a sort of illusion of uh, being separate and at the same time embrace an ultimate message of unity, which is how I approach topics like this uh, anymore. And another big one, similar to what Gary was saying, is that um, it has encouraged me to just go deeper beyond the surface of an issue, a hot topic issue that we are imbuing with our own hotness. Um, and contemplate my own emotional biases and my own distortions towards these things uh, before I found the law of one, and I think for a lot of people, is they didn't really have a conception, an idea, or even realize that it was possible to go deeper into our own mentalities and our own thought processes and actually find a root for some of the things that we feel and realize that some of the things that we feel aren't really useful and are hindering us or uh, keep us from being able to be happy or find love within a moment. And so the Law of One and all of the LL channelings have this message that has helped me approach my life and a a much more balanced way, I think. Um, I would add quickly to what Jim said about, um, you know, there really are no hot button issues. It's if you're, I'm paraphrasing, if you're kind of activated or triggered by it, then it's showing you something of yourself. Then um, that thinking alone helps to reorient so that you're not, necessarily trying to examine the outer situation and what group thinks what about this social issue or this legislation but rather you're saying why is this pooling me why is this so important to me and what does this say about me and you were headed in that direction too austin about talking in terms of going deeper and introspection Mm -hmm. that's it for me all righty any final thoughts on that one jim oh i don't think so Ready. All right. And Rie signs off by saying mahalo. Must be from Hawaii. Yes. Mahalo. Thank you for the those questions, Rie. And our next questions are a continuation from our anonymous questioner from the last episode, whose next question is, has anything happened yet from what we could be assured that everything is all right with both Carla and Don? Well, they're couldn't be anything other than all right. I mean, everybody that goes through the doors of death into larger life goes into a, a, the real reality, the spirit world, where uh, there is no veil to make us think that certain things are right or wrong or good or bad or well or not well. Uh, they go into a reality where the unity of the creation is very apparent, that love is everywhere, that there's nothing but forgiveness. There's no judgment. I mean, one of the first things you do is you meet your guide, and your guide uh, takes you to a uh, a place where you can review the incarnation just completed and see where you were able to learn what you wanted to learn, where maybe you didn't quite get what you wanted to do. 
you are reunited with friends and family, your spiritual family. We all have spiritual families that we reincarnate with time and time again for thousands and thousands of years. And it's kind of like a homecoming. I mean, it's a, it's a joyful time for everybody. I mean, there's, there's nobody left out here. There's no heaven, no hell. John was right. And uh, there's a, a council of elders we go see. We, they help us to d- determine what it is we want to learn in future incarnations. We don't have to come right back. I mean, there's places to go and things to do there that can enrich our experience and our beings. And then when we decide that we do want to come back, then again, our guides and our family and the council of elders there can work with us and decide how it is we want to learn and where it is we want to learn and with whom we shall incarnate and, and so forth. It's, uh, there's, uh, it's a beautiful place. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, all look forward to getting there. I, um, presume that would be an excellent question for Jim and have nothing further to offer. Yeah, that I think was uh, more directed at Jim. Thank you uh, for your answer. I would Jim. also Go suggest ahead. that if anybody wants to know more about this type of a topic, uh, the Life Between Lives uh, regressions and interviews are being done. It's a very important field now. Uh, Dr. Brian Weiss has got a number of books on the topic, uh, Destiny of Souls, uh, Journey of Souls, Life Between Lives. Uh, Dr. Um, Peter Newton, no, that was actually Peter Newton. I was giving those books there. Those are his books now. Brian Weiss's books are uh, Many Mansions, Many uh, Houses, and let's see, uh, Miracles Happen and so forth. And then Rob Schwartz, he's got uh, The Courageous Soul and so forth. Uh, this is a, a, an area of investigation with regressive hypnosis that is burgeoning with information now. And it's, I would highly recommend it to anybody who wants to know more about the spirit world. It's a, you know, an amazing experience to uh, discover all this. I caught a typo in your response, and that was uh, Michael Newton, not Peter Newton. You know, I've done that twice now, and I, Peter Newton got a chuckle out of it because I, I, uh, I talked to him about it, that I, I tend to forget that it's Michael Newton wrote the books and Peter Newton that I'm emailing. And uh, I've been emailing Peter Newton for a long time, so I had him in my mind before I had Michael Newton. And I'm going to have to remind myself, Michael, 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 Michael Newton, Michael Newton, Michael Newton. Okay, thank you. <laughs> So, uh, in your opinion, Jim, is all the information in these books um, compatible with what we learned from Ra and the Law of One? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and even before Ra contact, when Don and Carla wrote Secrets of the UFO, in uh, Chapter 8, they regressed a number of people to uh, do a chapter on wanderers. And they regressed Carla and one of her best friends, Sally DeWitt, and another fellow, Morris. We all know Morris Hoagland. And they regressed them without talking to them about what the other person had experienced in the regression. And they all went back to the same place. And they went to their spiritual family. They called it a clan there. Uh, in different books and different uh, people's experiences, the clan or the family or the, the unit, or there's all kinds of names, but it refers to the same thing. And they all described the same situation. Uh, there was a library where they all studied. There was, uh, there was music in the air. There was... Uh, uh, directed study. Uh, it was uh, quite an amazing experience. But what Little Ra had to say about that was usually in passing in relation to another topic. So we did learn a good deal in that way. If you put it all together, it matches perfectly with what uh, Michael Newton and Brian Weiss and Rob Schwartz have come up with in their investigations. They've, been, they've uh, regressed thousands and thousands of people. They've trained hundreds of regression therapists in the last 20 years, and they're all coming up with the same basic outline of information, but everybody has a unique experience in this general outline of various types of groups and belonging to groups and uh, choosing incarnations and choosing lessons and how it's done and, and how you really cannot judge anything at all that a person does or has happened to them in a lifetime because every experience has the opportunity to teach. 
There's something in everything. Like Ross said, there are no mistakes. There really are no mistakes. It all has a purpose, and it all teaches. And it usually has something to do with love. That's a pretty interesting point that um, you mentioned. I think Don started with past life regressions before they really got into channeling, didn't he? Oh, yeah, back in the 50s. That was really the first thing that he did. Uh, he had regressed, I guess, over 200 people. And he was just trying to figure out, as a scientist, whether or not reincarnation was really the way things worked. And he discovered it really was. I mean, all these people that may or may not believe in reincarnation before they were regressed, when they were regressed, discovered they were going back to past lives and having experiences that made an impression on them that they would then later use in this life and that they had families that they were incarnating with. Yeah, he he did that quite a bit, and that was... um, the prelude, really, to uh, the work with UFOs. Hmm. Um, the past life regressions you mentioned for Carla and um, two other people, I think those are available in Secrets of the UFO, aren't they? Right, in Chapter 8 on Wanderers. Right. Yeah, so if anybody's interested in reading more on those, you can find that uh, for free on our website. They're just simply uh, Subject A, Subject B, and Subject C, their own names given. Right, yeah, they aren't listed as themselves, but they are the subjects who are being regressed in those uh, chapters. Right. All righty. And I think we've got time for our last question from Anonymous here. Uh, Not last, this is the next question from Anonymous, who asks, What do you think Ra meant in the sentence at session 40, question 15, that, quote, the great numbers of entities with the so-called mental diseases, quote, are... Quote, those unready mentally to face the self for the first time, unquote. What would be an example of that in real life? Uh, Gary, do you have an opinion on that one? I do, so long as Anonymous um, adds an extra helping of sodium chloride to my response, uh, because this is <laughs> definitely one area where I'm not too sure about. So, um that would be a grain of salt. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple <laughs> grains of salt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first, I had to figure out what my understanding is. How how is this um, <clears throat> increasing green ray affecting mental ability or understanding or energy? And as best as I can figure it, um, with the coming of fourth density and the presence of fourth density right now, um, there's more truth or more information or more light. And um, that light comes up against the many illusions that all of us hold about ourselves. We all have beliefs about who we are that don't are are kind of um, constructs and uh, don't always match up with who we actually are. So this light casts our illusions about who we are into starker relief. Um, And then those illusions become energized and they press against us. And perhaps um, they come to our conscious attention and they gain more energy faster than they would have otherwise happened in the normal course of an entity's journey. And then uh, with that increased intensity, if the person is unable to accept or balance or integrate and assimilate those illusory energies of the self or those split off or blocked energies, then the person can become greatly distorted and create disharmony within themselves and disharmony for other people. 
Um, so what is an example? I'm not sure, but I guess if you researched mental disorders itself um, and find what came up, um, I think a lot of those might qualify. I'm not sure exactly what Ra meant by quote-unquote mental diseases. Um, as that uh, term opens the door to a great range of non-harmonious mental functioning from um, anxiety and mood disorders to addictions um, on one end uh, to psychotic disorders on the other. In that same question there, it says... Uh it, uh, Don said, well, uh, with respect to what you just said, that when people incarnating na- here now by seniority vibration who incarnate for the service to self-path be the ones who'd have the extreme difficulty mentally with this green ray vibration? Ross said, uh, this is incorrect. It is rather the numbers who have distracted themselves and failed to prepare for this transition, yet who are somewhat susceptible to this influence and may be affected. So from that, I take that maybe if you have not thought about the possibility of there being life after this death and that maybe there's something that you want to do and need to do in order to take advantage of what's going to occur at the harvest and all of a sudden you're, you're just feeling overwhelmed, um, maybe you would start feeling uh, uh, guilty or maybe you start feeling paranoid that you weren't going to get it done or maybe you'd start feeling schizophrenic that part of you wants to do it and part of you doesn't want to do it. I think a lot of things could happen. Like you said, Gary, it could be addiction to drugs. Well, maybe uh, drugs will help me get there. Or uh, maybe uh, if I uh, become um, impervious to uh, people around me, I can think more or meditate more. You know, there's all kinds of ways to respond to this sudden influx of energy that comes your way. And I think that's what Carla was feeling and talking about when she talked about 2012 being the time where, by which we needed to make choices. She was afraid that the fourth density light was going to be too powerful for people. And that uh, that's why she made the uh, statement a number of times that we've now decided to make a disclaimer concerning that uh, 2012 was kind of a cutoff point. I think that there is not necessarily the cutoff point then, but I think she was on the right track that if people have not made choices about self-discovery and about finding out the purpose of their incarnations and, and putting them into action and making that part of a daily routine of uh, giving time over to the creator every day so that there is you remember the creator and it becomes the foundation of your day. Um, and you start looking at people as being your other selves and, and you start f- looking for love in the moment. Uh, those things are something that really help us in this process of transformation. And if you all of a sudden discover all of that's ahead of you, Oh, you can imagine if you've got uh, a couple of days to study for a final exam and this is, you know, you're in college and it, your degree depends on it and, and uh, how am I ever going to get it done? You know, well, start pulling your hair out and banging your head against the wall and all kinds of things could happen. So, hmm. I'm done. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Uh, the only thought I have to add onto that is just sort of a reiteration of what both of you touched on in that raw was not specific in what they said about mental diseases and so there is a very very wide range of things that they could be referring to and i think that maybe not all of them will seem indicative of their uh non-readiness to confront themselves it may just seem like a typical quirk or a compulsion or something like that that is kind of covering up or uh releasing energy for this thing that they're not ready to uh, confront or something like that. So it's probably not easy to say, point to any specific case and say, yeah, that is a direct example of what Ra was talking about. But um, I think what Ra said helps us consider things in a certain context for ourselves. 
Alrighty. Any more thoughts for our anonymous questioner's second question? I wanted to add that something Jim said triggered uh, some self-reflection and some uh, personal way to relate to this question. And that's that he said one specific, again, I'm paraphrasing, one specific way that the entity who has not yet prepared themselves, not yet laid the strong foundation, relates to this increasing green ray energy is to feel a sense of um, not being ready, to feel a sense of something akin to one something one might feel when a test is right around the corner and they haven't done the homework. Um, I have seen similar in my own life patterns since having my own spiritual awakening at 18 years old and feeling this pressing need to do work and um, feeling that uh, time is short and time is very valuable and time must be used uh, accordingly as a, somewhat of a scarce resource. And um, for many years, I used to have recurring dreams of um, being in school and not having done the homework, not being prepared for a test. And I'm just all of a sudden in the dream in this classroom environment and there's enormous uh, anxiety and I feel a lot of variations on those dreams had me going back to grades that I had already completed. There's a number of explanations for that sort of dream. Um, but I have to wonder if my own awakening and the proximity of um, the fourth density has caused a little bit of that, that pressure and anxiety to get the work done. That's interesting. Thanks for sharing. I think that wraps it up for this show today. Would you like to send us off, Jim? Yeah, we want to let everybody know we appreciate so much your questions and appreciate you just listening to us and taking into account, you know, we, you human beings sharing our points of view. And we want you to know that we love you very much and we hope you have a great week. We hope to hear you back again next week. You've been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org podcast. New episodes are published to the Archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk with you then.